It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M, and today we're going to finish previewing some of the players featured in our upcoming Bracketology Bracket. We are going to keep that around. We know that the NCAA tournament is not happening, but we're still going to give it our best shot to give you the top players, narrowing it down all the way to the greatest Aggie athlete of all time. People also got to remember that this is how the careers have gone in Texas A&M history and how the careers have gone past leaving the college. So, Johnny Manziel is a Sweet 16 elimination. It's because of his college career. It's not because of his college career. It's because of his NFL career. If a guy like Von Miller wins it all, well, you probably have a good understanding why, and it's why right now, according to my betting odds, he might be the favorite when it comes to Twitter. Before we begin, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and at Locked on Aggies. Remember, Locked on Aggies is your number one source of income for all your Texas A&M podcast needs. You can check out all of our great work at LockedOnPodcast.com. If you want to follow us on our written side of work, check out all Aggies part of Sports Illustrated's network, Sports Illustrated and the Locked On Podcast Network have partnered together to give you an audio content surrounding all things SI with Texas A&M. Check out all that great work at si.com slash T-A-M-U. And last but certainly not least, again, if you want to follow me on Twitter, tell me what you like, tell me what you hate, tell me what you think is good, what is bad. All you got to do is hit that like button, that follow button, at Mr. Cole Thompson. That's my name. Don't wear it out. At Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and at Locked On Aggies. It's Friday, and while this may be the last time we do this for a while, because unfortunately we don't really know what's going to happen going on with COVID-19, there's still a sports to talk about, so we are going to do one last Asking Aggies question. Just for now, trying to figure everything out. Hopefully you enjoy this. Hopefully you find some solstice in this. Hopefully something of this works, but we did get some questions this week, and we are going to read them out. First one comes from Jan Morgan. Jan asks, Cole, where do you think the next group of AM players in the NFL will land in the free agent market? That's a pretty good one. There's a few names out there. The two biggest ones, though, and those are the ones we're going to focus in on, are Michael Bennett and Jermaine Ifedi. I look at Ifedi, and I see two options. He could either return back to the Lone Star State and possibly work his way in with the Houston Texans. Here's why. Titus Howard was originally drafted with the thought of possibly playing right guard. They drafted Max Sharping, who played right guard last season, and then played a little bit of left guard as well. You have your left tackle in the future of Laramie Tunsil. You have your center of the future in Nick Martin. And you have two guys in last year's draft that you use early picks on to hopefully be the mainstays of the future of the organization of the offensive line for Deshaun Watson. If Watson signs his contract, you stay with the organization after all the fiasco going on right now. But that hole where Zach Fulton's been playing at left guard, I don't really like that hole. I don't. I don't think that Martin's that Fulton's lived up to that contract remotely. He has been a liability in pass protection. He has been 
mediocre, maybe average at best in run blocking. And the team now has an aging veteran running back in David Johnson. They're going to need to protect him. Because of the only way that the DeAndre Hopkins trade makes sense is if you have Johnson break out next year. And when I mean breakout, I mean he has to have 1,000 yards minimum. That's when it starts to look maybe a little bit better. After that, you got to start looking at other things. Like, who's that wide receiver they use with the number 40th pick or their number 57 pick? It is a deep wide receiver class, so you're going to want to be able to find a weapon to be DeAndre Hopkins' replacement. So... You get that involved. Maybe you use two weapons. I mean, Kiki Kuti has not worked out, and it's too inconsistent with Will Fuller. So, the only way that all this works is if Deshaun Watson has time to throw the ball. And if it's smarter to move Howard inside after some injuries he suffered last year on his foot, move Sharping to left guard, you have a hole at right tackle. And that's where Effetti's been playing predominantly the most of his career. So when I look at all that combined, I think, okay, he comes back to Houston. He comes back to 90 miles away from College Station. It's close. He can have a starting role. And the Texans have a salary cap that would allow them to bring him in on like a two or three year deal. And it would make a lot of sense. Especially now they have their swing tackle, Roderick Johnson, signed. If he doesn't go there, I think both him and Michael Bennett ultimately end up back in Seattle. That's my prediction. I think that Bennett will go back to Seattle. He was a terror there. He literally helped build that team. He was one of the key foundational pieces for the Legion of Boom defense. He did a fantastic job really setting the tone as a defensive end, kind of a hybrid player. You could play him in a four gap. You could play him as a as a five. You could play him, if you really want to, in a three-eye I think that he will go back there on a one-year deal to kind of close out his career. It's coming to an end. He has bounced around from team to team the last few years, from Philadelphia to the Dallas Cowboys to the New England Patriots. So you know that there's a market out there for him as a veteran guy. But that's where I think he ends up. And Arfetti's the same thing. They're going to want to protect Russell Wilson. Their first-round pick this year is probably going to be out of range for a top-level right tackle the future to pair with Dwayne Brown, I think that he ultimately signs back there. So those are the two guys that you know are from a and that are the two big names on the market right now, and I think they both end up in Seattle. One more question we did get this week was from uh, Dan the Man. Dan asked, who was the one player in spring ball you were most excited to see? This is a pretty easy one for me when I really break it down. It's Haynes King. This was the number one dual-threat quarterback in the state of Texas. This was, I think, the number four quarterback in the nation. And you have a young roster that you're going to be able to build around. People forget that Anaya Smith is still there. Isaiah Spiller is still there in the run game. You're going to have two tight ends, a sophomore in Jalen Widemeyer, a redshirt freshman in Baylor Cup, who was the number one tight end prospect coming out of high school. You have... A plethora of defenders that are going to make this team better, hopefully, in guys like Antonio Doyle, Antonio Johnson, Jalen Jones, Fidel Diggs, McKinley Jackson. The list goes on and on and on and on. But the biggest thing is, would Jimbo Fisher allow this season, the 2020 year, that the, the year that it all looks like it's clicking for AM, would he allow Kellen Mond to struggle and not even consider looking at the future? 
I think with King, it would have at least given some competition. And even if Mon won the starting job, which I do think he will, absolutely. And I do think he will play the entire season without a doubt. You want to be that team that contends every year in and out. And with LSU having a pretty good recruiting class, Alabama, another top three class. You even have schools like Ole Miss and Mississippi State who, with guys like Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin, maybe not the best recruiters, but they know how to get the best out of their players. The SEC West is a lot harder. So you need to have those good recruiting classes. And I think the only way that this team looks to be the team on the rise in the SEC in general as the next LSU is by showing that they have a competent quarterback under center for the future. And King is the guy. I think Calzada's good. I do. He didn't play that much last year, but I do also think that he will transfer eventually. I think King won't. I think King is the future of A&M football. He is the 12th man that you need on that field. And unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see how much of his progression is going right now. We're not going to be able to see how much of any of these early enrollees, the largest in Texas A&M history, will be. We have no idea what it's going to be. So unfortunately, that's why I have him as the guy that I really want to see. Before we go break down about some more players in baseball, because unfortunately, guys, this one was a really tough one for me to find some research on for me to be able to do some stuff. We're going to also real quickly look back at what happened on this date in history a few years ago. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson at Aggies SI and last but not least Locked On Aggies. But let me ask you another question. Do you like great podcasts with a very broad audience and people who understand the sport, know what they're talking about and want to provide great content for your team? Well, simple. Just listen to one of the great Locked On podcasts found at LockedOnPodcast.com. We have everything from NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, college sports, and of course, fantasy news to help your team next season. You can check out all of our great work over at LockedOnPodcast.com. Like I said, we are going to be doing a storyline later this week talking about what will go down in our own bracket. Who is the greatest A&M athlete of all time? There are some front runners. There are some players who are definitely going to get some votes later on. But today was a very special day in history for Texas A&M basketball. It really was because the city of Houston recently got a player from Northern Iowa named David Johnson. But in 2016, Texas A&M actually played Northern Iowa. And for any one of you Aggie basketball fans out there, you understand that this was a monumental game for the Aggies program. Northern Iowa appeared ready to move on to the Sweet 16 as they held a 12-point lead with less than a minute to go against the Aggies. And then things started clicking. Things that never should happen in basketball started really going their way. Amon Gilder followed up a miss by Alex Caruso with an offensive rebound and layup to put the team down by 10 against a running clock. Just a couple seconds later, Gilder stole the ball inbounds, found Daniel House for a layup, bringing the Aggies with an 8 with 25 seconds to go. After a timeout called by Billy Kennedy, 
AM forced another Northern Iowa turnover along the baseline to lead to a Jalen Jones dunk that started to give AM that little bit of hope. It made things look like it was going to start going their way. And eventually, anyone who knows the end of this story, it did. What seemed to be in just a matter of seconds, the Aggies made it all the way back, forcing an overtime game after another steal and layup by Gilder with 1.9 seconds left. In the last 44 seconds of the game, not even a full minute, AM went on a 14-2 run to send them to the first overtime. And unfortunately, it wouldn't end there because a layup by Alex Caruso with 5.9 seconds left against UNI would put them at a tie at 83 apiece to send them to double overtime. And by the second overtime period, AM had finally worn down this UNI team who was missing two of their starters after fouling out because that's the thing that people don't realize. With five extra minutes in basketball, your penalties don't go away. So when you lose a player that way, you start having them as an advantage. AM was able to capitalize with a house scoring free throw with 12.6 seconds left to give them a 92-88 to lead. That would punch their ticket to face off against Oklahoma, led by then Buddy Heald, into the Sweet 16 of that season. What a game. Alex Caruso finished one point shy of his career high in a season high of 25 points. House finished with 22 points. Both of them have had stellar careers in the NFL uh, at the NBA level. House is now playing back in Houston with the Rockets. Caruso is now making a name for himself to possibly maybe hoist an NBA championship trophy real soon with LeBron James and AD out in Los Angeles with the Lakers. This was the start of something really special. Unfortunately, that was the end of AM's time. They would be eliminated the next round, and you know how the rest of the story goes. But it's nice to look back in history and see some things that really worked out. Speaking of history, it's time to start looking at the history of the AM bracket. Players who we know are definitely going to make a name for themselves in this upcoming bracket because of. Plain and simple, they were really good players at the collegiate level, and then they made a name for themselves at the end, uh, the MLB level. We already did NFL, we already did NBA, now it's time to look at MLB, and I think the first guy that everyone's going to think of easily will be Chuck Noblechok. Noblechok, out of high school, was drafted in the 18th round of the amateur draft by the Philadelphia Phillies, but did not sign. He instead went to go play baseball in College Station where he was a second-team All-American and later played on the 1989 team that finished that season with 58 wins, which is still the record in A&M baseball history. He was later drafted in the first round of the 1989 draft by the Minnesota Twins. He won the American League Rookie of the Year and a World Series ring as a member of the 1991 Twins World Series Championship. In Game 7, Noblechok attempted to lead, deceive Lonnie Smith, appearing uh, to start a double play on a Terry Penderson double. And Smith claimed that he lost track of the ball, but de- uh, that Noblechok was not the decoy. He actually ended up scoring that run that helped the team go move on really well. He had a pretty stellar career in the MLB as well. Played from the Twins from 1991 to 1997, then went to the New York Yankees from 1998 to 2001. 
finishing his career in 2002 with the Kansas City Royals. For his career, he batted 289, had 98 home runs, 407 stolen bases, and 615 RBIs. On top of winning the AL Rookie of the Year in 1991, he was a four-time World Series champion, winning it once with the Minnesota Twins and three times with the New York Yankees. He was a four-time All-Star in 1992, 1994, 1996, 1997, a two-time Silver Slugger Award, 1995 and 1997, and he also picked up the Gold Glove Award in the latter year in 1997 as a second baseman. I think when you just look at his stuff on the field and his play, yeah, there there's no doubt that he is probably the greatest Aggie to come through and make it to the MLB. There's some other names that still are growing, but this is the one where I think a lot of players have the history of when they look at Blue Bell Park and Olsen Field. Unfortunately, uh, there are some troubles with him that are off the field. Uh, his name was, of course, in the uh, Mitchell Report that had him included with the HGAU, uh, HGH use. Um, he also was kind of caught stealing outside of baseball with with these uh, with these federal uh, associations. He actually admitted to using um, human growth hormones, he said in a statement back in 2008. I did HGH. It didn't help me out. It didn't make me any better. I had the worst years of my career from a batting average standpoint, and I got hurt. So there was no good that came out of it for me. It was not a performance-enhancing drug. Unfortunately, that does hurt your chances when you look at the greatest athlete of all time because if you want to put that on the the off-the-field record kind of stuff. Those are things that I'm going to take into consideration when I do the voting process next week. But Chuck Nobachok is easily, I think right now, the greatest Aggie to ever play. There are some other great Aggies who are also in the league right now, and we're going to be breaking those names down in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and last but certainly not least, at Locked on Aggies. As we stated earlier, we are going to be featuring players all across the MLB and, of course, across every sport. Whoever came through College Station, narrowing it down to who was the greatest Aggie athlete of all time. We've already mentioned Chuck Novichok is probably the greatest Aggie batter of all time, but who is the greatest Aggie pitcher? Well, there's a couple names that you can look at, and I definitely know that there's going to be one that will be on here that we all know right now. But before we go any further with that, how about we take a look at one of the names who's made a pretty decent career for himself at the professional level? That'd be Michael Waka. As an early enrollee at Texas A&M, Waka played three years of college baseball with the Aggies. At that point, he stood six foot five tall and weighed 180 pounds, but he had a fastball that would reach up to 84 miles per hour, and could uh, he had a four-seam uh, four fastball that would reach up to 88 miles per hour. During his freshman campaign, he made 10 starts and 25 total appearances, posting a 2.90 ERA and having a 9-2 record. He also registered 97 strikeouts, 22 walks, and 105 innings pitch. His nine wins ranked fifth, and his 2.9 ERA ranked sixth in the Big 12 for his performance. The Louisville Slugger Association named him a freshman All-American, but it was his sophomore year that he really started to make a name for himself. Walker posted a 9-4 record in 16 starts with 123 strikeouts and just 20 
walks with a 229 ERA in 129. Really, you round that up because it was 129 and two thirds innings pitched. His performance earned him a spot on the third team All American roster and the All Big 12 second team. Walker was a member of the U.S. Baseball Collegiate National Team. He also pitched in the Big 12 Championship, the College Station Regional, and at the very end, he helped lead AM to their first College World Series appearance in the last decade. He would then be drafted by the uh, St. Louis Cardinals in the first round with the 19th overall pick in 2012. He signed for a $1.9 million deal. And his draft slot that originally belonged to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, who were upon signing Albert Pujols as a free agent, actually surrendered him to the Cardinals. So, fun fact, Waka was actually supposed to be Halo, and instead he flew away over to St. Louis. Since then, he's had a pretty stellar career, recently signed with the Mets, but before that, 59-39 and 39 as a win-loss record. He has a 3.91 ERA and 759 strikeouts. He also was an all-star in 2015, and he won the NLCS MVP in 2013 during his first playoff experience. People really want to remember that playoff experience because of in that first playoff game he ever pitched, which was of the NLDS, he went seven and a third innings in game four against the Pittsburgh Pirates. He surrendered one hit. It was a home run and two walks due to that performance. Mike Matheny at the time announced that he would start Game 2 of the NLCS. He actually out-dueled Clayton Kershaw in 6-2 inning, earning a 1-0 victory on the road over in LA. And in just his 11th start in the MLB, Walker joined Bob Gibson as one of the only pitchers as fran- in franchise history to strike out at least 8 batters while yielding no runs in consecutive postseason starts. He would get the second start again in Game 6. Walker yielded just two hits and seven innings pitched, and it uh, and his opponents unraveled in a 9-0 victory that would send the Cardinals to the World Series. Fortunately, uh, we all know how that ended. He would also see that game go in favor of Boston. Boston would end up winning their eighth World Series title that year. This past offseason, he signed a one-year contract with the New York Mets. Next up, we already know that Mwaka wasn't the only pitcher to help take AM all the way to the 2007 College World Series in Omaha. He had some help from a fellow teammate and fellow Texan. It was Ross Stripling. Coming out of Southlake, Texas at Carroll High School, he would go play college ball with the Aggies. He threw a no-hitter against San Diego State on May 12th. 2012 he finished his first season to th- uh, he finished the 2012 senior season with a 10 and 4 record and a 308 ERA in 16 starts Stripling was later drafted by the Colorado Rockies in the ninth round of the 2011 MLB draft but he did not sign he would return back to school in 2012 and he would be selected in the fifth round by the Los Angeles Dodgers since then he has been in the MLB since 2016 going 20-24 and 24 with a 3.51 ERA, striking out 377 batters. He was named to an all-star roster in 2018. He also played in three games during the 2017 World Series that ultimately led to probably the most controversial World Series of all time, with the Houston Astros picking up their first title in franchise history. Before Stripling and Waka ever got to College Station, it would be Alex Wilson who became a pretty solid reliever at the MLB level. 
He transferred to Texas A&M in 2008. He was later drafted in the 10th round by the Chicago Cubs. And since then, he's bounced around the league as a setup man. He played for Boston in 2013 and 14 before being traded over to the Detroit Tigers in 2015, spending three seasons there. Last year, he played with the Milwaukee Brewers. And this past offseason, before being traded in a minor league deal, uh, after being released by the organization in Milwaukee, he signed a deal with the Cubs, becoming a free agent in 2019. He was offered a minor league contract with the Detroit Tigers. Since joining the league, he has a 14-14 and 14 ERA, 226 strikeouts, and he has a 3.44 ERA. He also was a member of the World Baseball Classic team uh, in 2017, helping the United States win a gold medal in Los Angeles. Finally on our list today, you know what we're here, we're just going to say Ace Lacey will make this list as well. He probably will be a late gem. We know he's going to go down as one of the greatest pitchers in AM history, even if he does leave after this year. But we're going to focus in on mustache mania Daniel Megden. Anyone who knows the name Raleigh Fingers, anyone who knows anything about old-timey mustaches, Daniel Megden is the epitome of that style. After graduating from Westside High School in Houston, he would play college ball for the Aggies from 2012 to 2014. During his three years, he appeared in 54 games with 36 starts, going 15-17 and 17 and having a 3.21 ERA, striking out 230. He was really the big name to start the, the Aggies' career in the SEC. Megan was drafted by the Houston Astros in the fourth round of the 2014 MLB draft. He would later be traded over to the Oakland Raiders in a deal uh, that would send over Scott Casimir at the deadline. Since making his Major League debut, he's had a pretty decent career. He's had up and downs, but he's had some good years overall, I would say. Last year, I think, was probably his best. Uh, he's gone 17-19 and 19 with a 4.69 ERA. He has 214 strikeouts. Last season for Oakland, uh, he... No, wait, 2018. That was the year he had this big breakout year. Uh, he went 7-6 and six with a 4.5 ERA in 22 games. He did go 5-2 and two with a 4.83 ERA in 13 games. He only made 9 starts. So... There you have it. Some big names are going to be mentioned. Again, starting on Monday next week, we will be breaking down every single roster. And again, I'm going to do my best to make it 64. I might have to make it 32. That way, it's just fair for every sport. But that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. And hey, you know what, guys? We are having some difficult times, so why don't you go ahead and listen to Draft Dudes with Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs. Both of them are local podcasters who have history with the Locked On Network. Of course, Joe covers Locked On Bills, while Kyle now covers Locked On Dolphins. They also do great work for the Draft Network, and Draft Dudes is an awesome show. Go ahead and check that out. But Monday, we will start our bracketology. We'll start voting this weekend, getting things figured out letting you guys have your picks. Let me know what I did right, maybe a player I missed over the weekend. But if you can't do that, we'll see you on Monday. And remember, give me y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.